Hi, you're about to get smarter in just a few minutes with Curiosity Daily from Curiosity.com. I'm Cody Goff. And I'm Ashley Hamer. Today, you'll hear from scientist and award-winning author Camilla Pang about why she wanted to write a manual for understanding human behavior. You'll also learn about the planetary chaos that resulted when the Earth's magnetic poles reversed. Let's satisfy some curiosity. Plenty of people have wished that there was a manual for human behavior. But for people who are neurodivergent, like those on the autism spectrum, it can be especially challenging to navigate social interactions and figure out why other people do some of the things they do. And that includes today's guest. Camilla Peng is a postdoctoral scientist who holds a PhD in bioinformatics from University College London. She also has autism spectrum disorder, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, and generalized anxiety disorder. And all of this led her to write the new book, An Outsider's Guide to Humans, What Science Taught Me About What We Do and Who We Are. The story of why she wrote the book is super fascinating. So here it is. Well, I didn't realize I was actually writing it um, when I was little because um, it was just a kind of concoction of leaves and post-it notes and various objects that kind of formed their own narrative of this journal. And so I, it was mainly just an experiment for me to refer back to or set of experiments. And, and up until I realized that I put it in my PhD thesis, my supervisor was like, this is great, but this is not actually a thesis, your, your PhD work. I'm like, interesting. So I had to somehow <laughs> dissect them. You know, it was quite hard. It's like separating a tumor from blood. And so when I realized that the thing that I actually wanted to write about at that time was useful to people, when I told my sister, I thought, let's put it somewhere. Why not? So you were you were actually trying to write a thesis that was a manual for human behavior? Yeah, I did. And I didn't realize it would be a book, but I wrote it with the intention of showing my mum one day. I didn't know when or what form, but ultimately to explain what went on as a child when I couldn't quite articulate back then is something that I always wanted to do to complete the circle, as it were, to explain to my mum what, what kind of happened and why. Why tell your mom this stuff? What's What was going on with you as a kid? Well, there is... It's like that with every, you know, I, I'd imagine with every parent trying to understand the human that they made. And when the, and when for some reason you feel like you can't, that's, that can't be a nice feeling, especially when you're doing everything you can to enable them and to help them. And so ultimately, um, it was a lot harder with me. Like, for example, it wasn't just a, come, Millie, sit down. I was afraid of things that you shouldn't be afraid of as a four-year-old. I was afraid of, like... And of sounds and noises. I was hypersensitive and I didn't quite get things. And I think because of that, I was quite frustrated. And that came out in all, all sorts of different forms. It wasn't deterministic at all. And I think she really had to debug the behavior of my childhood to know what was going on and what would be triggers. I think ultimately having explained this and the basis of those triggers for me on the autistic spectrum, um, I think can really help mothers decode their children. <laughs> It's really interesting. You've already used two scientific analogies in our conversation. Do you find a difference between studying science and studying human behavior? Like why why use these analogies? Well, uh, um, science to, to me isn't like like equations or this or facts. It's actually a process. And this is something I wanted to highlight further in my book is that it's not just about scary numbers and scary diagrams. It's more about the process in which you approach something that you're uncertain about. And 
the anxiety which is associated with something with that kind of investigation and what happens if what does an outcome look like and i think that's one of the things where i wanted to highlight in the process of science is that sometimes you don't know what you're looking for but you're experimenting most of the time to, to find you know something that you think you're looking for and you might get deviations and sometimes they're the best discoveries and so i think ultimately i hopefully highlight that hilarity in that process it almost sounds like um, science is emotional to you, which I don't think that many people may necessarily associate it. That's kind of how you approach it? Yeah, science is really emotional to me. And it's quite interesting because a lot of people, especially scientists, think that to be the best scientist, especially if you're a woman, you need to be objective and logical and unemotional. And I'm like, I, without my emotions, there would be no science experiment. That is the best data I have at any one time, because I know that's something you can't control, but it's something you can record. But ultimately, for me, science is very much entwined with my emotions, and I'm not going to hide that. Again, that was Camilla Pang, scientist and author of the new book, An Outsider's Guide to Humans, What Science Taught Me About What We Do and Who We Are. You can find a link to pick it up in today's show notes. Researchers have uncovered a log in New Zealand that shows just how important Earth's magnetic field really is. Because 42,000 years ago, a magnetic reversal led to deadly cosmic radiation, climate change, and maybe even mass extinction. And not to be alarmist, but it's something that could happen again. Researchers already knew that Earth's magnetic field sometimes flips, causing the magnetic north and south poles to switch places. And they knew from clues scattered across the world that it last happened around 40,000 years ago. But researchers have had trouble pinning down the details because there wasn't a way to create one timeline out of evidence from far-flung caves, ice cores, and peat bogs. But a new discovery has changed all that. Researchers in New Zealand recently unearthed a cowrie tree that had been buried in sediment for 40,000 years. The tree was growing when the most recent switch occurred, so its rings contained some answers about the event. The new data make it clear that the flip was a very big deal for our planet. The problem wasn't really that the magnetic North Pole became the magnetic South Pole. Data from carbon isotopes preserved in the tree rings suggest that the most serious stuff happened before the switch. That's when the strength of Earth's magnetic field dropped precipitously to between 0 and 6% of its current strength. Without a magnetic field protecting it from space weather, our little Earth was exposed to harmful cosmic radiation. That radiation zipped straight into our atmosphere and cleaved its electrons from their atoms. That process is called ionization, and it means that areas across the entire planet would have glowed like the northern lights. We don't know what our ancestors would have made of the shimmering skies, but it must have been a sight to behold. But that beauty was deadly. Ionized air is a great conductor of electricity, so lightning and electrical storms would have presented a far bigger threat than before or since. With that in mind, it might not be a coincidence that the earliest examples of cave art began to appear around the same time. I wouldn't want to go outside in that either. Maybe the most serious consequence of all was that ionized air zapped the ozone layer, which threw the global climate into a brief tailspin. 
That might also be at least one factor behind why many of Australia's largest animals went extinct at that moment in history. The researchers behind the project say there isn't much to do about Earth's fickle magnetic field, but it's important to remember that we're far more vulnerable to space weather now than our ancestors were 42,000 years ago. I mean, they didn't have electrical grids and satellites. So what can we do? The answer? Fight climate change. After all, the magnetic poles could switch at any moment. And I, for one, would prefer to confront one global catastrophe at a time. Let's recap the main things we learned today. Well, we learned that science isn't just facts and figures. It's a process. And it can be emotional, too. Science is also like real life, because a lot of times you find something you didn't even know you were looking for. All very cool perspectives from Camilla Pang, who provides yet another example of why hearing different perspectives is almost always a good thing. Yeah, I just want to quickly highlight when I introduced Camilla, I mentioned a few labels, autism spectrum disorder, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, generalized anxiety disorder. I want you to think back and try and recall whether you had any expectations when you started to hear her talk and whether those expectations were different than what you expected. I think sometimes we see labels or categories that people are in and, and we automatically assume certain things about them. But when, when we talked to Camilla, I was surprised by how different our conversation was than what I may have expected from her bio. So it's just one more reason to not have preconceived notions about people uh, based on a few traits that you know about them. Honestly, I have a bunch of friends with autism spectrum disorder, and they're some of the coolest, quirkiest people I know. Like, I know I know it can be tough, but it can also give you a really interesting outlook on the world. Neurodiversity is diversity, too. That's right. And we also learned that about 42,000 years ago, the Earth's north and south poles swapped. And right before that happened, the strength of our planet's magnetic field dropped until it was at least 94% weaker. Less magnetic field strength means more cosmic radiation. And that led to electrical storms, a climate tailspin, and a lot of extinction. Not good things. And I'm really hoping it doesn't happen again, since we're even more vulnerable to space weather than we used to be. Mega yikes. I mean, we're out of 2020, so I feel like the disasters need to calm down at this point. Yeah. Crossed. When do we get a break? Come on. We're <laughs> supposed to have flying cars and stuff by now, right? You know what I've been thinking about a lot is we do have video phones. You know how that was like in every futuristic movie from decades past? Every time people talk on the phone, they saw a little little screen with the person's face on it. Yeah. Yeah. How well is that going? <laughs> We hate it. Everyone hates it. <laughs> well, it's going a lot better than flying cars would. I mean, no one knows how to drive in two dimensions right now, let alone three. <laughs> that's that's right. Yeah, I don't think we should ever, ever try that. Like, how much time do you spend just shouting at other people when you're driving your car? Oh, you cut me off. Or get off the road. Just imagine that with a Z axis. Nobody <laughs> wants this. Nobody. Nobody. No. Nobody. No. Today's last story was written by Grant Curran and edited by Ashley Hamer, who's the managing editor for Curiosity Daily. Curiosity Daily is produced and edited by Cody Goff. Join us again tomorrow, assuming the Earth's magnetic field hasn't flipped. Nah, just kidding. Join us again tomorrow, even if it does, to learn something new in just a few minutes. And until then, stay curious. <laughs>